Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. We about to party. Unrestricted. Got the house now. We gonna turn it up, up. Bring the house down. Got that big space pump and make them bounce now. Blouse like they bossing in the Welcome to All Elite Wrestling Unrestricted, the official podcast of AEW. I'm Will Washington. And what now? I was like, you did it backwards. Normally it's AEW Unrestricted, All Elite Wrestling. And I was like, oh, this is fancy. Yeah, you know, it's funny because my notes actually say All Elite Wrestling Unrestricted, but whatever. Aubrey, you're here. I'm here. I am here. Who else do we have here? But we're not going to waste any time today because I want to get straight into our guest. We're joined by the governor, the self-proclaimed next, next James Bond. Mm-hmm. It's Mr. Anthony Agogo. Hey. <laughs> Hello, friend. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I, I got to ask about this. Okay. So next, next James Bond. <laughs> so so why next, next? Because the next one's Idris Elba. Like, I'm not going to listen. He's better for me. I'm not going to lie. Better for me. Bigger. Probably more handsome. But then. <laughs> Debatable. The next next four to eight. But Idris is like maybe 50 now. So he's probably maybe got two bonds in him. Now four to out. Maybe four or five years per bond. In 11 years time. Listen, I'm going to be ready to go. I'm not I'm not deluded. I'm not going to say I'm the next bond. But I'm the next <laughs> next bond, you know. You guys get it. You have enough time to like season, to marinate, and then eventually exactly. like a little, yeah. Yes. Like a fine wine. 100%. <laughs> And learn to act. (laughs) (laughs) Important, important. Up until now, who is your quintessential Bond? Uh, The best Bond, best Bond is is Daniel Craig, 100%. Daniel Craig is unbelievable. He's gritty. He's exactly what Bond should be. Second to that, uh, Sean Connery, original Bond. I like Pierce Brosnan. Like, Pierce gets a lot of stick. I like Pierce Brosnan. He was he was a good Bond, and he was actually my entry level Bond, Goldeneye, like ninety six, I think. Yeah, so I, I I agree with that. He's my entry level Bond as well. But the funny thing is, I think he's a great Bond with not the greatest Bond movies. It's like like Die Another Day was okay, and like, but he himself, I think, is a great Bond, and I think that's why he tends to get overlooked in the Bond lore because like. Daniel Craig just had awesome movies, right? Mm. Like Casino Royale, I could watch that a million times over. Skyfall? Skyfall, the greatest Skyfall. Bond. Skyfall, so the greatest Bond ever. And for me, top five films of all time. I went to the premiere to that. I was, that was soon after the Olympic Games. It was unbelievable. So good. So good. 
What what would you bring to the Bond role? What are you when you're looking at me? What's yeah. you what would I bring to the Bond role? Uh, I was like, I know the answer to that question. What would I bring to the Bond role? Goodness <laughs> me, Will. We're gonna fall out, man. We're gonna fall out, right? Besides the obvious, what I'm what a flipping governor, mate. <laughs> I bring what I want when I want. <laughs> nah, dapper I could be dapper. Uh, I was texting Sanjay actually recently and I was I was pitching an idea to Sanjay. In it, I was like saying, saying, "Wow, I think my idea is fantastic." And I, I said, "I actually said the word." I chuckled when I said it. I said, "I can kick it in corporate, and I can kick it in the hood." I'm not kind of like you know, I can do both. I can talk. I can talk. You know, I can go to the exec, execs and talk to them, or I could, you know, not. <laughs> so I, I can. I bring. I bring different flavors to whatever I do, and that's what I'm trying to do with wrestling. You know? I'm trying to bring my authenticity to my character and, and have an amazing career. You're somebody that you can bring home to mom and you're pleasant and charismatic, but someone who I wouldn't want to meet in a dark alley. Hundred, do you know what? It's funny you say that. I, uh, I did a TV show earlier this year called SAS Who Dares Wins, one of the biggest TV shows in the UK. Essentially, they take 12, 15 celebs and we do special forces training. And then when I was doing my big VT interview before, I said, they said to me, like, sum up, sum up yourself in, in, in a nutshell. And I said... I'm sensitive, I'm kind, I'm caring, but I will punch you in the face if you're a prick. And I think that sums me up. Like, I'm kind, I'm nice, I put my arm on your shoulder. I'll, you know, we, we, me, Brit, we've had some lovely conversations, me and you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're a dickhead, I will fuck you up <laughs> if, 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 if I have to. And I think I kind of embody, and, and that's just me, right? I can be, I think I'm a very nice person. I think I was, I was raised well. My mom did a great job raising me and my sisters. But if pushed... I can be a very not pleasant man. Let's let's talk about that a little bit because I know you and I have talked about your family a little bit. So you you grew up in the UK. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about your family. Bring, growing up, difficult, difficult but interesting. Lovely, lovely but very hard. Amazing mom, single parent. I've got four sisters. Um, my dad was, how do I say piece of shit without saying piece of shit? My dad was, uh, you know, we didn't really get on. He was a fantastic man, very inspiring, come from Nigeria, uh, went to London when he was like in, in his 20s. A very inspiring, wonderful, charismatic, charming man. Just a terrible husband and an awful father. You know, we found out a lot when I was growing up. He was just wasn't an ideal dad, which is difficult because like, you know, he was such a wonderful man and I saw snippets of it and I saw how he was kind of looked upon in the community, but it just was bad to us. So very violent towards me and my sister, very violent towards me. Uh, and my sisters a bit, but yeah. So my mum, but my mum, listen, mate, done an amazing job. Raised me and my four sisters. They've all got degrees. I've got an Olympic medal. You know, <laughs> my mum done an amazing job, and we all had very. Um, she's my hero. My mum's my hero. You know, without, without doubt. Uh, growing up was difficult. I I got into a lot of trouble. Um, I was very angry. Had a lot to be angry about. A lot of dad issues. Looking back now, um, a lot of self worth issues, identity crisis. I started boxing when I was twelve. When I first walked in the gym, I thought, "This is me, I and mean, this is this is me." I was, I said, a lot of anger, a lot of energy, and boxing, I could channel it. Like for the first time in my life, when I was twelve years old, I was punching people. Then rather than getting told off, I was getting well done. Rather than getting told off, I was getting my name in the newspaper. I was winning big trophies, almost as big as me. I was winning medals. I then got to box around the world. Became a junior Olympic champion, junior world champion, 10-time British champion. All these amazing things. Where a kid where I'm from, a small little town, no opportunity. People don't look like me. People 
don't do great things in their life looking like me where I'm from. And I was, I wanted to buck that trend and I've lived an amazing life. Don't get me wrong, lots of ups and downs, lots of setbacks. Um, but I'm very proud actually of, of, of the journey that I've, I've lived. And the good thing is there's still a lot of journey left to go. And I genuinely want to be Bond in 12 years' time. So that gives me about 10, 12 years in between to have some fun and, and, and do some stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm a wrestler now. I want to scratch the itch because boxing was great for me, but ended very bitterly, very sad, lots of ups and downs, ending a massive down. And I got this big, big, big itch that I'm dying to scratch. And I really hope wrestling is the thing to enable me to do that. I, I want to talk about uh, the wrestling side of things. Um, you mentioned having just appeared on one of the biggest shows in the UK. And speaking of big shows in the UK, we just recently had All In in London, mm -hmm. yes. record-setting crowd, an amazing time, an amazing night. I got to see you there both before and after. You got to have a moment yeah. that involved also Paul White and uh, Jeff Jarrett and the aforementioned Sanjay Dutt, Jay Lethal. How did all of that come together? I got to have a moment. I, I think I should have, could have had a much bigger moment. I'll be very honest in this, in, in, in this podcast. The reason why I wanted to do it, because I want to be really honest and kind of tell my story. Listen, London is my hometown. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was signed to a, I was AW's first developmental talent. I came here with no wrestling experience. I trained unbelievably hard to get real good really quick. And I just think I should have been on that card. Now, not I'm saying not obviously how the previous 12 months has went. I hadn't done anything, right? Because I haven't, but I'm desperate to work hard. I want the opportunities. I want to go. And I just, I was gutted to be there. Even in that moment, right? That was put together last minute, actually. We told that story on the show, didn't we? That, that I think we did. I think we did because I was in the creative meeting where that was all pitched and literally it, uh, it all came together. And I was excited to see it come together, but uh, very last minute. Really last minute. I was in the studio. I was wearing a nice red suit in the studio with, with, with Paul and Kip and Renee. Renee's, Renee, by the way, goodness me. You know when you see somebody oh my God. work and you see how good they are? Like, I knew she was always good, but goodness me, she is she is stellar at what she does with the noises in the earpiece. And she, she's, a, she's a queen. Anyway. And they said to me, oh, do you want to do something? And I was like, 100 million percent. I've, I've been dying to do something. This is Wembley. I've been, I've been coming to Wembley Stadium my entire life. This is this means so much more to me than anybody else. And then um, the comeback, the being back in London, performing in London for the first time since the Olympic Games in 2012. And then even with that, I'm like, and I'm not being, I'm not being ungrateful. I'm not being disrespectful. I hope I don't mean to come across as disrespectful. But even with that, it was like, you know, I hadn't been seen in a year because I've haven't been seen, haven't been, you know, I've been, I've been waiting for the phone to call to, to do this. And, and then like, we came out, me, me, Paul and, and Grado, British wrestling legend, Grado come and done a little thing. And it was like, Paul's music hit. I get that. Cause he's a big star. He's, you know, he's been around for 25 years and, you know, Captain Insano and all that. He's, he's a, he's a wrestling legend. I get his music. Hit. And then I came out with him, like his little brother. <laughs> do you mean? It's like, I haven't been seen in a year. And then, and then we both kind of done the stop turned around and done give it one of these ones then grado came out and grado is a lovely he's a lovely guy i love Grado. He's, he's he's a lovely guy really 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 good but he's not signed to aw he's like i don't know he's not signed to aw he's never gonna headline a show in aw i don't think maybe unless if you know it's wrestling right and yeah, never say never never say never wrestling he's really really good but it's like paul is like at the end of his career right grado is not even signed to the company and i was the, i was the little shit bit in a sandwich coming out in the middle. <laughs> it was like, I generally feel like I can headline shows in AW. I generally feel like 
at Wembley, be it next year or year before, I can be in the top of the thing. That's what I was, that was when I joined AW. That's what was pitched to me. And I'm thinking, I haven't been seen in a year. I'm back in London. I could have made a massive, this could have been like, not all about me, but I could have been made much bigger in that moment. Me coming out, my music here, fuck a girl goes back, fuck a girl goes. I watched the Olympics in, here 10 years ago. And I think every, with me, I think with the ball's been dropped many times along the way. I think we could have done more with me. It wasn't quite when I joined AW, it wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. It hasn't quite turned out thus far what I hoped it could have been, what I think it could have been, you know. But listen, that being said, um, you know, all I can do is work hard and, and, and give it my all. And when the call comes, hopefully the call will come, just show up and turn up, you know, and that's, that's, what, I'm, that's what I'm doing. Heck yeah, man. There's so much more to talk about. I mean, we've just kind of sampled talk about your Olympic career, and I want to get more into that after this break here on AEW Unrestricted. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. AEW Unrestricted, Aubrey, Will, Anthony. This is an awesome conversation, just learning bit about Anthony's background and whatnot. I've known him to be a wonderful person for a very long time, so I always love when we have great people on the podcast. It's like, hey, now everyone else gets to know how great you are, so thank you for being here. <laughs> kind. We, we've touched on your Olympic background, and obviously it's a big part of who you are as a person, but also who you are as a character. So you started boxing when you were 12 mm-hmm. and eventually ended up working towards the Olympics. Like what is the whole qualifying process like? Oh goodness me. Uh, wow. So in short, uh, from Europe, you've got to be obviously number one in the UK, number one in Britain, then uh, go to a qualifier. Top eight from Europe qualify the Olympic Games. Um, it was really, really, really involved. I dislocated my shoulder in the, you get two qualifiers. Uh, one was in October in the World Championships in Azerbaijan. Second one was in Turkey. At the Worlds, I just beat in the world number two and I had one more fight to qualify. In the fight against world number two, my shoulder came out the socket in the fight. And then the fight to beat the, to beat the Brazilian to qualify, I didn't win. I, he was a southpaw. So southpaws, to beat southpaws, you've got to throw lots of right hands and left hooks. And uh, my shoulder came out. So I, I, I didn't win that fight. I had to condense a twat. I, had a, I told my labor room, I had a big, big, big shoulder surgery. I condensed a 10-month rehab into four months to get back to the second. Oh, my God. Like, when I say, yeah, my shoulder. So, at the Olympic Games, my shoulder was still subluxed, semi-dislocated. At the Olympics, so I qualified the second time, we were asking, uh, in the most unbelievable comeback fight in history, which I was boxing a Georgian to qualify. But in Olympics, Olympics, three three-minute rounds, so nine minutes of boxing. Um, after the first round, I was three points down. After the second round, I was six points down. So, a bit of context for you. 
In the previous four-year Olympic cycle from Beijing 2008 to London 2012, not one person in elite international boxing had ever overturned a, a three-point deficit going into the last round. And you're double that. So four points was impossible. Five points was, what's not even point, trying. I was six points down. I overturned six points in the last round. In the, in the process, I gave myself exercise-induced asthma because I was working so hard. My poor little alveoli in my lungs just burst. And I qualified in the most unbelievable comeback fight in history. I eventually got, I eventually qualified after I said two shoulder surgeries. My shoulder came out the, the year before, also. So five weeks, and this is why I'm very well known in the UK because I didn't win a gold medal at the Olympic Games, which my talent. I should have won a gold medal in the Olympic Games. I was very bitter that I didn't win a gold medal at the Olympic Games. But the reason why I was so well known, and I was a star of the GB boxing team after London, because my mum, who I mentioned before, is my, my hero, she had a brain aneurysm mm -hmm. five weeks before the Olympic Games. So the whole Olympics, she's in a coma. She should be dead. I snuck out the Olympic Games on three occasions, Olympics for two and a half weeks. My fight, the opening ceremony was on a Friday night. On the Saturday was my first fight. The, the final, the middleweight division, is on the last day. Semi-finals the day before. So my whole competition for two weeks and four days, I was boxing. Boxing every few days, training in between, losing weight, making the 75 kilo, 165 pound weight limit as a middleweight. I snuck out the Olympics three times, snuck out the village three times to get in my car, drive up to Cambridge. Bear in mind, over the course of two weeks, I was become one of the most recognizable people in the country. Mm -hmm. At the time, I'd drive up to, uh, to Adambrooks, so about two hours away, two and a half hours. I'd flirt with the nurse to get me in the hospital to see my mom because she was <laughs> in, in the no, true story, in, in, in intensive care. And that's what I did. That was my Olympic Games. My Olympic Games, it was, on one hand, it was the most amazing time of my life because I'm now living up my, my, my childhood dream. On the other hand, I thought my mom's going to die, never going to see her again. Um, so by the time I got to the semi-final, I boxed a Brazilian. I'd be in the, the Dominican, Ukrainian, the world number one, who nobody gave me a chance of beating him. The Dominican, Ukrainian, and German had all beaten that Brazilian that Olympic year. From January to August, they'd all beaten him. And I got to semi-finals, and I was just bollocks. I had nothing left. Physically, emotionally, I wasn't sleeping. Yeah, it was. And I was very bitter about that because... He, he couldn't lace my gloves. I was so much better than him. And the Japanese guy that won in the final, the Ukrainian that I beat, punched for living daylight out of him at the World Championships. So when my shoulder was dislocated and I, I had to come home and do the surgery the next day, the Ukrainian won the gold medal and Ukrainian smashed the Japanese fighter to bits, smashed him to bits. And I beat the Ukrainian in the Olympics. So I should have won the gold medal, really. But listen, life happens. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Didn't happen. It took me a long time to be... It took me a long time to kind of learn the secret of life or the secret of being successful. In my, in my perspective, in that's um, being grateful for what you had and not comparing to what you think you should have got. Mm -hmm. You know, I should have won a gold medal. I should have done this. And I've seen all these boxers that could not lace my gloves become a world champion. And I'm also when I hurt my eye, I never got hit as a boxer. I so seldom got hit. I was fast. I was elusive. And I'm watching these boxers that could not lace my gloves go and become world champion and earn millions of pounds, millions of dollars, and living out my dream. And I was so bitter because they weren't as good as me. They didn't train as hard as me. They didn't want it as bad as me. And I never cheated, never cut a corner. I left no stone unturned. And then my career got taken away from me. I'm now left blind in my left eye. And mm -hmm. these guys that get hit way more than me, that lose, like, I, I was very good with my diet. I'd lose my weight very slowly over the course of a 12-week camp. These guys were unprofessional. They'll cut 10 pounds a night before the fight, which is bad. I never did that. I did everything right. 
and I seen the backfire, and that's really unfair. I found it really, really unfair that my dreams got snatched away from me in a really cruel fashion. But ultimately, right, like life, <laughs> that's life. And and I just literally just before talking to you guys, I was doing my podcast, getting back up, where I talk to people that have achieved great things in both their life and their career, but only after suffering massive setback in adversity. And I spoke to a lad called George Peasgood. Two and a half years old, he was run over by a lawnmower. His left leg mangled, couldn't walk on his left leg. He's got now got a prosthetic, and then he won two medals in Tokyo at the Paralympics. Then last year, when he was on a bike ride training for the triathlon, he was now competing in the World Championships. He fell off his bike and smashed it. Now he's brain damaged. That poor sod is like he has every reason to be bitter. At the very least, like for myself, I'm now able to live out a second childhood dream, being a professional mm-hmm. wrestler. Like I'm able to do what I love, I love do. I love I love seeing you guys each week and walking down around, being a good guy, being a bad guy. I love it. And I've got the chance to do something again. So I can be really bitter about what I haven't got. Sure, I didn't become world champion, didn't get the gold medal. I haven't got millions and millions in the bank. But what I have got, I've got a second chance at life to live out a childhood dream thanks to Tony Khan and AEW. And, and I'm doing that. So when you compare, you're just not going to be happy. When you're grateful and appreciative of what you got, you give yourself the chance to be happy, and that's what I'm doing. It's taken me a long time to learn this, the, 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 these, these, these life lessons, but at least I'm finally here now. I wanted to ask a little bit about the injury that that ended your boxing career. It's it's fairly highly publicized, but just kind of inform the the AEW unrestricted audience about it. Uh, so it's public. It's not, it's not actually. It's not publicized because I've never really been able to tell the true story. Mm. Essentially, I walked to the boxing ring my last fight. I should be nowhere near a boxing ring. I had two fractures in my eye socket, which I knew about, but I was told they were old fractures and they weren't going to get any worse. And that eye socket is less likely to fracture because like when the fracture you know, it heals, it's, it's stronger than before, I was told. There's no more likely to fracture than any eye socket. I've been boxing for you know, 15 years at this point. I've had thousands of punches to the head. It's not going to fracture. I walked to the ring. I left the ring. My eye socket was shattered, had literally shattered, had eight fractures all around my eye socket. Now, the eye socket protects the eyeball and the soft tissues around it. It wasn't getting, so I was getting, every time I get punched in the eye, the eye was getting damaged. And and the real difficult reason why I can't is a big whole thing. But basically, and in the surgery, in one of the procedures, I had an injection. I had a surgery in my eye to kind of like stem the damage. And whilst they kind of figured out what to do because it was a really unique injury because it happened over time, it wasn't just one incident. Basically, I was told there was an old fracture. It wasn't, it was a brand new fracture. And I kept saying this. But there was some stuff going on and they said it wasn't the case, but I knew it was the case. But when you spend lots of money to see the best doctors in the world, so Moorfields Eye Hospital is the oldest eye hospital in the world in North London. They're the best. Everyone who's good, everyone who's worth their soul does a two-year residency there all around the world. They told me this. I said, what about this? No, no, no. It's definitely this. It wasn't that. It was what I said. But what do I know, right? David Beckham doesn't go and see an Achilles surgeon and say, hey, do this. He says, what's wrong? And they fix the Achilles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I had an injection in one of the, I'd, I'd ten, I've had 10 surgeries altogether, nine in three years to get back in the ring. I, I couldn't get back. I had one earlier this year because I still still plays me up. It still gives me a lot of jip and, and, and stuff. I had an injection. They, they, they missed the muscle they were going to inject into and injected into the nerve. And now uh, I've got no. permanent paralysis in the eye. Yeah, permanent paralysis in the eye. So, so now, so my issue, yes, I've got visual damage because of my eye because all the punches I took that night. I've had 10 surgeries on it. So I've had other issues, scar tissue and stuff. But my real issue, the reason why I find things very difficult is because my eyes move at a different speed 
Mm. And I'm always getting double vision everywhere I look. Whenever I move, there's double vision. And my eyes are swimming. Then when you when when your eyes don't work together, when they work independently, you lose depth perception. So I said, I've got my eyes 78% blind in my left eye. And the really annoying thing is, and I don't want to be ungrateful, but like a lot of the time, if I was 100% blind in the eye, in that fight in 2016, if my eyeball had fallen out or exploded, whatever, it would have been great. It would have been great because my dream would have ended then and then. My boxing dream is done. But I spent three years and over 100 grand on surgeries to get back in the boxing ring. And each time I did something, it was getting further and further and further out of my grasp. And it was heartbreaking and it was slow and it was cruel. It was getting tortured, like emotionally and physically tortured over years. Nine surgeries every single time thinking this is going to be the one. If it had just kind of like exploded or whatever that first day, I can't box now. Now I've got to do something else. And now I've got to kind of, I'm on the path. And it wasn't as really slow thing. And, I, and also I've got a little bit of vision in it. But the vision I get from this eye isn't what this eye sees. So although I've got 22% vision, it's even worse than having no vision because it gives me a different thing. Like I get double vision. So, so you, I don't know if you might see him, but sometimes like I, I sh- sometimes struggle to run the ropes because when people see three ropes, I see six and the ones I see are crossed over. So often I'll grab a rope and miss. So if you ever see me run and miss, it's because I've, 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 I've grabbed the wrong rope. I've grabbed it, but my brain thinks it's there, but it's not actually there. So I've done one of the things I'm really, I'm really um, actually proud of is like, if you saw me wrestle, you wouldn't know there's an issue because I've worked really hard. My, my depth, what I struggle with, I've worked really hard. I've stood there for so long, kicking the middle turnbuckle, stomp, 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 because what I don't want to do is kick through somebody's rib. And what I don't mm-hmm. want to do is miss by six inches. So I've worked really, I've stood there and I've punched, I've punched, I've punched the turnbuckle over and over and over again to get that connection just perfect. So most people do it a little bit. I've got to do things a lot to overcome the visual impairment that I have. So going back to what I said earlier, is like, I don't feel like I've been given the chance to show how good I am, how good I can be, because I've had to work as hard as everybody else get good at this whilst being visually impaired. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I've got, you know, I'm still a young man. I've got loads of time left and um, I'm going to be successful at this, at this industry because anything I do, I'm successful at because I make it that way. You know? And that's not me being arrogant. That's just me working so fucking hard and don't stop until I come successful. You have to believe your own hype because if you don't, who else is going to? 100%. Yeah. Wow. I had no idea that you were like that blind in your eye. And I've worked matches with you. Holy shit. Yeah, that, that's that's crazy that, you know, like we, we knew there was obviously the, the vision issues, but to, to know the extent of it and to know what could have been done and, and how excruciating all of that time was lost. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Cheers, um, but, but it's incredible to hear what you've overcome to get here. Thank you. And that's like, oftentimes people think I've got a chip on my shoulder and I have. I've got a massive chip on my shoulder. And, and and rightly so. And well, that's a snippet. I can't, I can't even say that I was in a big legal thing because this person on the wrong thing to my eye and I didn't win the legal thing. Why? Because the whole system fucked me and I can't even go into this. And that's why I can't, that's why I said to you a minute ago, people don't really know the, the true extent of the injury because I can't talk about it. And it's not like I got, it's not like they said to me, is 10 million pounds, which I was suing for, $13 million. Is that now one long and, but you can't say anything. I'd be quite content if I got 10 million pounds and can't say anything. But I, I think lost, we all would be. I lost the case and I still can't talk about it. I can't implicate the, the, the people that messed my career up. And there's just, you know, and I, I, get, I get emotional about it. But yeah, ultimately, and I was very bitter about it because I mentioned like people fracture eye sockets all the time. They get back to playing, being basketball, being UFC, being boxing. I fractured eye socket, got it misdiagnosed. 
told to box any boxer wants to box I boxed the worst thing happened they then operated on my eye as it was before the injury they basically operated on me on the injury that was pre-fight they didn't even know my eye socket was shattered more and damaged on the eye because they'd done the surgery I should, they'd done the surgery I should have had before the fight after the fight not knowing that my eye is way worse after the fight now and it's just yeah I, I can't tell them all so I'll get I'll, I'll get a, <laughs> a letter on my doorstep I don't want to get but ultimately uh, I mentioned about the chip on my shoulder I have got a chip on my shoulder so I've worked so hard to get good at this. And I just want the opportunity to, to be good at this. And I said a minute ago, like, I've got, I never became world champion. I never got to the top in boxing. I got to the bronze medal, got to the, you know, almost got the world title. I didn't get it. So I've got a massive itch I'm dying to scratch. And I just hope I'm given the chance to scratch it here because I know, I know what I can do and what I can bring. You know? so hopefully other people see it as well. Man, I'm hoping so too. And we got a lot more to talk about right here with Anthony Agogo. This is AEW Unrestricted. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. AEW Unrestricted. It's Aubrey and Will with our guest, the one and only Anthony Agogo. Let's talk about some pro wrestling. Let's talk about what you've been able to, to do here in AEW. Mainly, let's start about how you got started in professional wrestling. What gravitated you toward professional wrestling and deciding that this was the next path? Well, I love it, like you guys. I, you know, I, I love it. I've, I, I didn't miss a war for like 15 years. Like, I'd always say, like, wrestling's my guilty pleasure. I got, I remember I had a, I got a Toshiba laptop, huge thing. And I travel around the world as, as, as a boxer, we travel all around the world, always on the, on the world traveling boxing. And I took my Toshiba laptop and no matter where I was in the world, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, in Lithuania, any weird little European country we went to, I'd be watching on the illegal link, watching watching the wrestling. I just loved it. <laughs> and one of those things where I thought, when I fell in love with it as a kid, eventually I'm going to grow, grow up and grow out of it. But the opposite happened. I got older, I loved it even more. I got even more immersed into it. I think that's all of us, right? Yeah. That's... Yeah. And 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 when I retired from boxing, it was it was there was two things, two things I was going to do. I was either at the time like Brexit was a big thing in the UK, we were then leaving European Union. And like the politicians are just, you know, like most of them are dickheads. <laughs> and then I wanted to either go into politics or pro wrestling. Two really weird things that I know. I had no idea how much politics was in pro wrestling. I, should have, I just could, could combine the both. There you go. But um, yeah, and, and, and you know, I want to make a difference in the world uh, at some point in my life. I'm still a bit selfish. I've still got some things I want to do. I want to scratch my itch, as I keep saying. So pro wrestling was the thing for me. I first took my first bump on my stag do. Uh, I'm a bachelor party uh, when I got married. Most lads in England go to Ayanapa, Greece, or if, if they've got a few quid, they've got some money, they'll go to Vegas. I went to Norwich, <laughs> which is like a small city in England, and, and went wrestling with the local wrestling school. Uh, Soraya's family, Soraya. Soraya, the Knight family. Yeah, yeah I was yeah, going to say, Soraya's from... So literally, yeah. Zach and, 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 and Soraya's nephew, uh, Ricky, took me and my friend's taught us how to bump and do moves to each other on my wrestling on my stag do it was great and I fell in love and they got me involved in, in, in a local show I walked in without doing anything without knowing anything about wrestling 
again, after the Olympic Games, really well known. I've come down, I've chinned one guy, I hit somebody up, rock bottom, went to the turn turnbuckle, done a frog, hit this perfect frog splash. Never done it before in my entire life, other than off the side of a swimming pool into the water on holiday with the boys, you know, when you're 18 and you think you're, you know, God's gift to women, which I definitely wasn't at the time, but even now still. And then, and then I sent it, I was, I was been friends with DDP for years because when I was boxing, I was doing DDP yoga, again, a massive wrestling mark. I sent it to him. He went, bro, bro, you can solve do this, bro. <laughs> and then basically, uh, the quick, quick little bit, I was having surgeries on my eye at the time. Hence, I was friends of Dallas. I'd come to America, stay with him for a week. We're training together. I'll go and do my surgery, come back to Dallas's house and fly back to England. Now, I had one surgery, the fifth surgery. My heart stopped on the operating table. My heart stopped. That had resuscitated me back to life. Yeah. And Dallas called me. I was in hospital that bed that night. Said to me, how did it go? I said, not good, Dallas. This is my, this, this is my fifth surgery at this point. This is fifth surgery. And I said, I'll explain what happened. He said to me, bro, he said, when are you going to give this? Because pr- earlier he said to me, a year or so before when I first went to go and see him, he said to me, you could do this. This is after the Fox Bash thing. He said, you could do this. I, mean, I could put a phone call in. I could get you like a tryout. I said, mate, so I want to focus on boxing. That's my dream. Like, thank you. I was, I'm flattered. But this is, boxing's my dream. And then he mentioned again, when I went back to him after the third surgery, it's Dallas, thank you, mate. Thank you so much. But listen, I've got to focus. I can't be sidetracked now. Had the, sur- had the surgery, the fifth surgery, my, my heart stopped. They had to resuscitate me back to life. I told Dallas, he said to me, bro, he said, when are you going to give this dream up and, and, and do something like this? And we had our first and only argument. I said, Dallas, I said, don't fucking stop. Just fucking stop. Stop, 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 stop. And he, and he stopped. To be fair, never mentioned it again for about 18 months. I then retired. And everyone from boxing and everyone who's helped me personally in my career, I emailed a message called. I sent out as a lovely email saying, thank you so much for helping me, blah, 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 blah. And then he said, bro, call me. This is a Sunday night. This is Sunday, the 10th of March, 2019. I was retiring the next day, doing the big media day. He said, bro, call me. And it's midnight in England. So I've called him. FaceTimed him. He always says, hey, bro, Facebook me. He means FaceTime. Facebook me, bro. <laughs> so I Facebooked him, put the light on. He said, he said, bro, he said, uh, he said, I'm sorry. He had to retire. Now do you want to do the wrestling? I said, Dallas, please, mate. So let me, let me mourn my career. Let me mourn it. He said to me, I, said, I, said, I just want to sulk. I want to sulk and be sad. He said to me, but where's that going to get you? I went, oh. he said, give me a call when you, when you want. He called me one week later, said to me, hey, bro, since I've been with AEW, I said, I have. He went, do you want to meet Cody? I said, I do. He said, come over next week, meet Cody. I flew over Mexico, met Cody. And then I told him my story. He loved it. Um, I did, a, if you remember, before Double or Nothing, the first one, we were um, doing those videos, like the road to Double or Nothing. Like we did a video of me. I was one of them. Mm-hmm. I think it was Joey Janela was talking about dying uh, in a match with somebody. And then uh, at the end, it was me, like a little story about my life. And code, I'm, I came back to England. I met Tony. And then, yeah, literally a month after retirement, or two months after retirement from boxing, I was signed to AW. I was signed to AW before Double or Nothing. I was literally, I'm on the same contract, like May, I presume the same one as you, May 1st, 2019, my contract started. I've been here since the very beginning. You know, I was in England. I've never even taken a bump other than my stag do. I'm one of the OGs, believe it or not. That's it. That's how, that's how it happened to AEW. Dang. Yeah, I, I remember it was, uh, you know, and it's funny um, because my birthday is October 26th. And I remember vividly October 26th, that's 2019. It. Yeah, That was the All Elite graphic. Yeah, I remember I just, 
that was uh, the day you were announced as All Elite. You had, uh, it was the Southside Wrestling's South ninth anniversary it. show. Yeah. And then, yeah. Chinned MJF, bang, middle of the ring, chinned MJF. Yeah, yeah, I took my phone out, done a selfie, done a Tyler Breeze, MJF on the floor. And yeah, that announced me, announced me to, to AEW. And I had to wait. Yeah. It took me a long time to get my visa. It was really frustrating. I got to AEW in September 2010, so September 2020. And I was training with a week, did a week in Atlanta with QT, and then we'd have uh, we'd do TV in Jacksonville. So a train a week, not train a week, train a week, train a week. I literally had fifty training sessions of wrestling before I wrestled Cody Rhodes at Double or Nothing. Literally, like, like, and my, my, I had a match with Cole Carter, twenty second punched him. I had a match with Austin Gunn, two minutes. He gave me one move, then I punched him. And my first real wrestling match, Cody Rhodes, after fifty training sessions. When I say I picked this up super quick, QT will tell you, I picked this up so quick. QT used to say to the kids, to the, to the boys and girls at the, at the school, he'd say, Gogo's had 20 training sessions. How come he can do this and you can't do this? He's learning. Why is he learning? It was like, at first I kind of felt cool, but then I was a little awkward. I was like, oh, can you make me like, oh, I want to make friends here. <laughs> so I was so hungry to get good at this and to work hard. And I think, yeah, so uh, I trained really hard and I got, I just, yeah, that's basically it. So question, because I don't think people fully understand like, like 50 training sessions. Yeah. You can wrap your mind around like what that means. Like that's a very accelerated pace. But the other thing that kind of comes along with that is that if you've seen pictures of you and you were at the height of your boxing career, you were real, real thin, still very much in shape, but a lot thinner. And then by the time you come to America, you're this big, bulky Jack dude. <laughs> that's a major transformation. Yeah, so my, so appreciate the fact that um, my I used to box at 160. So pictures of me online on 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 fight night on 160, I'd walk to the ring at 180, 185. Like most boxers put a lot of weight on. I'd walk around at 200. That's me training. That's me training uh, every day. Just just not killing myself. And I bring myself down from 190 to 160 over the course of 12 weeks, and that's what I mentioned before. I was very, I was so unbelievably dedicated. So when I when I became a wrestler, I went up from 200 to 220, and my entire life I'd lost weight. My entire life, I was my first fight. I boxed at 51.4 kilos, which is 220 pounds. I was 12. That day, I went to the gym the Monday, and I was 54 kilos. And my coach said to me, you got a fight on Friday. I had at least three kilos, which is half a stone, which is seven pounds as a 12-year-old. So I've been losing weight my entire life. Never, I never really did much weights because uh, you said my picture was so lean, nothing percent body fat, all cardio, all boxing. I never lifted a weight because I'm, I'm a kind of person, when I, when I look at a weight, I put weight on. <laughs> Do you know I mean? Like... <laughs> So, so when I turned, when I was becoming a wrestler, it was gone from not eating anything and doing cardio to doing no cardio, just lifting weights. And I loved it. I, lo I loved it. I really enjoyed it because it was different for the first time in 18 years of doing a different kind type of training. But yeah, the wrestling, when I first met Tony Khan, he was like, hey, I've got the perfect spot for you. You guys are going to be, be, be Chris Jericho's heavy. Now, rumor has it, I mean, Jericho said it on podcast, he Googled me and saw me skinny, skinny little 160-pound middleweight and went, he's far too small. I don't want him. I want uh, uh, Jake Hager. So, oh, that's annoying. So he, but he didn't see what I looked like. Like I was, I was 225, 230. What did you, I was like, oh, that's frustrating. So, yeah, it's been, you know. I'm not, this isn't a doom and gloom podcast. I'm very, very positive about my about my future in AW. I just desperately want the opportunity to show what I can do. Mm -hmm. I know I can bring a lot. I know I can bring so much to AW. There's nobody on the roster like me with my credentials, with my 
what I've actually done in, in, in legitimate fighting sports. I think what I have when nobody talks like me, yes, we've got some English guys and girls on the roster, but they don't talk like me. They, as I said earlier, they can't kick it in corporate and kick it in the head like I do. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I just, I just think I want, I want to be a big asset to the company because I love AW and I really love what we do. I want to talk about that that Cody match. That was almost it, it, that's a very interesting time, particularly because uh, you made your debut on TV in March of 2021, which at that time period, no fans in the building. Mm. Uh, you know, the, obviously there was the pot seating and all that, but for the most part, um, we're still dealing with the pandemic era wrestling. And all of that build was to lead to a match at Double or Nothing, which was the first full capacity show. That was really your first experience, really being with this raucous crowd, Cody Rhodes. It was a big moment for him but it was a big moment in general talk to me what that was like having that in front of that crowd oh it was amazing as i wish i wish but i wish they were fans from the beginning because we just we, we, we were guessing what they were doing and the fans online i know the fans online don't represent the older fans but they, they they loved me they loved the way i walk and the suits i wore and everything was a little bit different with me i wish we had that natural reaction to the crowd and that's all, as we as we all know that's the only way you really learn it was amazing. Working with Cody was great. Like working with Cody, I mean, he's so good. He's so, so, so good. He really is. Frustrating because in my first wrestling match, we'd planned a 16 minute banger. We'd planned these like moments. We planned these beautiful moments and this whole thing at the beginning. I decked him three times with three punches. Every single time he was out, you know, he's been, I've done Austin Gunn, blood everywhere. I've done Cole Carter. He was out. I've done Billy Gunn. I've done Dustin. I knocked everyone out. Lee Johnson with my, with my fist. And we planned this, this bit at the beginning where he went the body shot. And then QT's like, pin him, pin him, pin him. And I'm like, nah, I'm arrogant. I'm the governor. I want to win with a wrestling move. I'm going to give him my Olympic slam because I'm an Olympian. And then really slow and cocky, then cover. He kicks out, whoa, fuck. And then this is like a minute, a minute and a half of storytelling at the very beginning. I've thrown my shot. I've turned around to give it the big in. And he's there. I'm like, what the, this wasn't what we, this wasn't what we, what, what we planned. And now, because Cody being a professional like he is, we had 16 minutes the match was 10 minutes plus entry. Mm-hmm. He cut all that time down because the previous match went heavy and we had to kind of get back on track, which is... Yeah, it, that, that whole pay-per-view is just a struggle with time because it was the first time we were back with the crowd. I think mm. everything kind of took a little bit longer than expected. Mm. So yeah. you have no idea how much so many people appreciate it. And the match before was the Battle Royal too. That That's like really hard to time. Yeah, yeah. Those, those historically always go over. They're very long. So yeah, I just wanted to say, you don't know how much we all appreciated that you guys did that because it kept the show on track. Thank you. But uh, yes, yes, yes. But that pissed me off, right? In hindsight, because <laughs> it's my first wrestling match. We've got 16 minutes and I've lost half the stuff we were going to do. I've had to, oh, I've had to rush through the things we were going to do. And this is, people know Cody's a great wrestler. He's done it for years. People never seen me before. They've never seen what I can do. And that's my place to showcase what I can do. Mm-hmm. And then everything got rushed. In my head, it was like, oh, Cody's a wrestler. I'm a boxer. Like, he should be with a wrestling move rather than like a move that he hit on Dante Martin two weeks later and he kicked that one too. It's like, it's, 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 thing, it's just it's odd. It's just like looking back, obviously the wonderful thing of hindsight, but my my first my entry into pro wrestling, I'm gonna do what I'm told. I'm gonna say yes, please, no, thank you, and and, and do what I want to do. 
And it's like, we're looking back, and, and even we, we filmed a really cool montage. We filmed a really cool like, Rocky montage before the thing, and that, that got cut. So half the match got cut, plus my five-minute thing I spent a lot of time doing got cut, which got to really kind of wet the appetite for the fight. So it was a bit frustrating, really. Like, working with, working with Cody was amazing, and it was great. And I was a bit spoiled, because working with one of the best wrestlers in the world, the first match I've ever had, I, I just thought everyone was like that. Oh, they're not. <laughs> they're not. He's really... But it's frustrating because, like I said, I mean, like, you know, well, like, yeah, 15 training sessions and having a proper match. And, you know, we could have went six, we could have went 25. We, 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 you know, I think me and him have really good chemistry. And, um, and since then, Will, it's been like, it's been two and a half years since my last match on, on, on TV. And I've got so much better. And I had 34 matches. I say this when I do interviews, right? I say this when I'm saying, when I'm talking from the governor perspective, I'm doing, I say it all cocky, but I actually really mean it. And there's a caveat to it, so don't, 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 you know, just listen, let, let me say the caveat. I genuinely think in the history of pro wrestling, I am the best 30 match novice there's ever been, ever been. Now, like most people will have 30 matches in three months, in six months, in a year, maybe. I've had them spread over four years through no fault of my own, but match point, 34 matches, I can do things most 34 matches people can't do. Granted, I haven't had the, uh, Will's sitting there. Will, Will's thinking, hmm, can you? Can you? Oh, 100%. <laughs> I, I, I see the eyebrow. But I got, like I said, I've trained. I've trained. Most people, I said, now most people, they'll go doing these. They'll do a Friday, a Saturday, a Friday, a Saturday, a Wednesday, a Monday, a Friday. They can rack up 30 matches pretty quickly. Like I've taken a long time to do a mass mine because I don't do a great deal of indies. But on the flip side as well, my entry level has been AEW. I've been watching Chris Jericho since I never really watched much indie wrestling. Mm-hmm. I've been training under QT. I've had QT Marshall, he's an unbelievable coach. I've trained under Brian Danielson, under under Dave Taylor, William Regal, Cody, Dusty. Like I've had the best coaches in the business train me at an elite level, not basic stuff. So like, yes, I've had some of the best trainers in the world like coach me. Yeah, that, that, that's why I've, I've picked up so quick because it's when Brian Danielson's teaching you something, if you don't learn stuff, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> it's like, he's that good. And, yep. and, and then when Brian Danielson teaches you to do something, it just goes in much quicker and faster because it's Brian Danielson. It's William Regal. Right? It's like QT Marshall is anything he asks you to do, he'll do unbelievably well. Not just able to do it. He can do it. He can do a 450 as good as anybody I've seen do a 450. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. So it's, it's hard not to... When Cody Rhodes tells you, tells you something... He can back up with a story when he was on the road with Randy Orton or when he did this or his dad told him to do that. It's like it's, it's backed up with so much weight. You, it's, it's hard not to get better and to learn, you know? So, yeah, so I, I, I maintain what I said. And I think there's like a little stigma attached to me now. Maybe I've created this in my own head. But I think the stigma attached to me now, I think, is I've got all this potential. I haven't got the experience yet. But how do you get experience when you're not given experience? Mm-hmm. You can go on the Indies and do a little bit. I've got a match at Southern Honor in, in Georgia tonight. Um, just going get, to get another rep. But it's like there's work in there and there's work in AEW, you know. So, like, I'm in a weird situation now where, like, I think there's a lot of potential around me and and people are, like, Tony Khan, he signed me and he's re-signed me. So, you obviously see something in me and I have this, this aura which people haven't got because they haven't done what I've done in real life. But it's like I need to get the experience. Right? I need to mm-hmm. – I just – but one day – so, it's, just, it's the catch rate. So, what do you do? You know, do I – pit myself out and do every indie uh, just kind of get the experience. But then again, working in front of a hundred people is very different to working in front of 5,000. 
against somebody else? Or do I just kind of sit and be patient? But I don't want to be patient. That's what I said about doing the podcast. I don't want to be patient anymore, Brittany. I want to kind of, <laughs> I want to show my worth. I just want to show what I can do. And if I didn't think I was good, if I didn't think I could like deliver, I wouldn't be saying this. But I know what I can do. Like I know what I have. I just want to contribute. You're an, an absolutely incredible person and your story is very inspiring. Every time I'm around you, I just feel like a better person because I know the things you've overcome and I know the work that you put in. A lot of people say that they do the work, but like to see the work that you're doing is very, very inspiring. So I just wanted to thank you for that. Thank you so much. Seriously. And, and right back at you, there's a few faces that I see at TV and I can't, I could be having the worst day. And I spent a large part of my life here in America on my own. Like my family didn't come with me. I was here by myself and I come to be TV having a bad day. And there's a few faces that I see and I smile. Yours is one of them. Jerry Lynn's one of them. Oh, Jerry Lynn's the best. He's the best. There's one, one or two. One, there's one or two, but yours, yours, Jeff, yours is a, yeah. Uh, Nyla, Nyla's one of them. There's a few and I get, I get all giddy and I forget my worries. So uh, thank you so much for bringing some, so much positivity to my life. Hell yeah. Anthony, I was so happy you got to join us today on this podcast. It was awesome chatting with you. Oh, uh, what's the name of your podcast that people can check out? Uh, getting Back Up. Getting, getting back, back up. up, inspiring stories with other people that have overcome mm. adversity in their life, mm. much like yourself. This is just an absolutely incredible talk. Thanks for joining us today. I'm so. Aubrey Edwards with Will Washington. You can watch Dynamite on Wednesdays, Rampage Fridays, Collision on Saturdays, ROH on Thursdays. This podcast drops every Thursday on all of your favorite podcast platforms. You can watch it on our AEW podcast channel on Mondays on YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. This has been wonderful. Peace out, everybody. Peace. Come on, throw your hands up. Let me see you. Unrestricted, got the house now. We gon' turn it up, up, bring the house down. Got that big space pump and make them bounce now. Flows it like they bossin' and the freaks are coming out now. Uh, unrestricted. Uh, uh, unrestricted. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.